نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah. We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness. And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray. And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone. And that he has no partners or associates. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. This evening, Bismillahi ta'ala, we would like to summarize that which we have discussed in the previous lectures concerning the sharf or the explanation of the essay of Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab ibn Sulaiman al-Tamimi al-Najdi rahimahullah his essay entitled Al-Usul al-Sikhsir In those discussions we have covered a number of points uh, which obviously we are not able to cover in detail this evening however I will attempt to summarize the main point from the text of the book, of what the Imam has said, the main points of what he has said, and then to concentrate on the questions that were at the end of each lecture as a means of preparation for the examination, inshallah, next week. If there are any questions that are left uh, at the end of each subject or each principle, then we can look at them. Anything that is left unclear, uh, we will attempt to clarify it. And any, as in the past, the examination will be based upon the questions that are at the end of each lecture. And Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab began his lecture, or began his essay, Al-Usul al-Sitta, by mentioning the name of Allah, Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim And then he said, Min Ajab al-Ujab, the most amazing thing, the matters, وَأَقْبَلَ الْآيَاتَ الدَّالَ عَلَى قُدْرَةِ الْمَلْكَ الْغَلَّابِ And the greatest signs that indicate the power of Allah and Malik al-Ghallab, the one who is the king, and the one who is the conqueror and the vanquisher. He said, of those amazing things which indicate the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, أَصْتِفَّةُ أُصُولُ بَيَّنَكَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى بَيَّانٍ وَاضِحًا لِلْعَوَامِ فَوْقَ مَا يَذُمْنُ الظَّانُونَ has made clear these six principles with a clarity that is sufficient for the common people. It is beyond what anyone might imagine. And after this clarity, Many after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made clear these six fundamentals, these six very important fundamental principles principles that the Muslims were in need of in order to uh, worship Allah properly and in order to live 
a way that would be pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world, to have success in this world and the next. After Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made these principles crystal clear, many of the most intelligent and rational of the people of the world, of the children of Adam, of any Adam, the human beings, many of them erred concerning these principles except an all but negligible number, except a few, a small amount of people. The first principle that Imam Hamid ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah mentioned, Al-Asl Al-Awwal, it is related to Al-Tawheed, Ikhlas al-Deen lillahi ta'ala wahdahu la sharika la. Yani singling out the deen, meaning al-ibadah, singling out worship for Allah alone, not having any associate with him. وَبَيَانُ ذِدْعِي الَّذِي هُوَ الشِّرْكِ بِاللَّهِ And also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made clear the opposite of a tawheed that is a shirk billah and associating something with Allah as an equal with Allah or as a partner with Allah in that which is of the exclusive right of Allah alone. وَقَوْنَ أَكْثَرِ الْقُرْآنِ فِي بَيَانِ هَذَا الْأَصْلِ And also that most of the Qur'an, most of what we find in the Qur'an it has come to clarify this principle, the first principle, that is a tawheed, that worship is for Allah alone, and the opposite of it, shirk. Most of the Qur'an deals with this. مِنْ وُجُوهِمْ شَتَّى بِكَلَامْ يَفْهَمُهُ أَبْلَدُ الْعَامَ يعني, through different perspectives, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has clarified it in different ways with speech that is understood by the most ignorant of the common masses of the people ثُمَّ لَمَّ صَارَ عَلَىٰ أَسْتِرِ الْأُمَّةِ مَا صَارَ أَظْهَرَ لَهُمُ الشَّيْطَانَ الْأَصْلَاحِ فِي سُورَةِ تَنَقْفُسِ الصَّالِهِينَ وَالتَّقْفِيرِ فِي حُسُوبِهِمْ وَأَظْهَرَ لَهُمْ الشِّرْكِ بِاللَّهِ فِي سُورَةِ مُحَبِّكِ الصَّالِهِينَ وَأَدْبَعِهِمْ Then, when the matter reached its condition, when things became as they are today يعني after the Muslims deviated from Islam and began to misunderstand the deen of Allah he said at that point, shaitan presented to the people al-ikhlaq, yani worshipping Allah alone, the worship, offering of worship to Allah alone, shaitan has presented it to the people in the form of tanaqqus al-salihin, that the one who worships Allah alone, this means he is yani belittling, belittling or degrading or lessening the status of the righteous. And he is not, he is falling short in fulfilling the right of the Salihin, meaning that whoever directs his worship to Allah alone, Shaitan has made the people think that this is a form of lessening the status of the Salihin because you are not giving them attention, you are not giving them any worship. It is as though you are not respecting them if you worship Allah alone. Shaitan has made the people think like this, that the class, he has made it look as though it is lessening the status of the righteous and falling short and fulfilling their rights, and he has made the shirk billah, the one who worships other than Allah, or often some type of worship to other than Allah, he has presented that to the people in the form of being the love of the righteous, the one who makes shirk, and he offers uh, some type of worship to the righteous, to the saints or whatever, if he supplicates to them or sacrifices for them or whatever, he made them think that this was showing their love for the righteous and the followers of the salihin. Yani he distorted the picture of al-ikhlaq, the worship of Allah alone, and he distorted the picture of al-shirk and he made them the opposite of what they really are. Uh, 
the discussion, of course, is a lengthy discussion. However, what is important uh, is the issues that we have mentioned in the questions at the end of the handout. Those issues are the important issues, and uh, any those are the things that we should concentrate upon. The first question of that lecture it was mentioned the title of the book under study in this course and its subject. In the title of the book, as we have just mentioned, is Al Usul al Sitta. Al Usul al Sitta, the six fundamentals. Those six fundamentals which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made clear for the common masses of the people. And then after that, the even the intelligent people, they have erred in these principles. Yani they have deviated from them. And those principles, they are Tawheed and then Ijtima'ah, coming together and avoiding separation and obeying those in authority from amongst the Muslims and what is ilm and who are the ulama and who are the awliya of Allah and the doubtful matter, the shubha which shaitan has con conceived or contrived or invented concerning the abandonment of the Qur'an and Sunnah for following the opinions of men. Yani the shubha that he presented to the people is that the Qur'an and Sunnah are too difficult for anyone to understand, therefore you should just follow the opinions of men. The second question mentioned the author's name, date of birth and death, or something of his life and work. The name of the author is Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab ibn Sulaiman Samini al Nadi. He was born in the year 1115 and died in 1206. And he was engaged mostly in seeking knowledge and teaching, and in seeking knowledge and spreading that knowledge, and calling to Allah and spreading al-Tawheed and the Sunnah and fighting against al-Shirk and al-Bid'ah and also he has written many books many of them are small books and some of them are even comprehensive books I mean he was mostly engaged in seeking knowledge and making da'wah and spreading the correct Islam and writing the third question mentioned the first fundamental and its importance in Islam. The first fundamental is Al-Ikhlas Fiddin wa Bayan Diddihi wa Huwa Shirk. Yani, worshipping Allah alone, offering all worship to Allah alone, and the clarification of what is the opposite of it, yani, what is the Shirk. And this Ikhlas and Deen, it means the Tawheed of Ubudiyah. Yani, Tawheed of Ubudiyah. Primarily, because it is the Tawheed of Ubudiyah, not the Tawheed of Ububiyah or the Tawheed of Asma wa Sifat, that most of the prophets and messengers had difficulty with their people concerning. It was in the worship of Allah, singling the worship for Allah alone, that they were concentrating upon. Uh, and the importance of this Tawheed, Tawheed in general, and Tawheed al Ubudiyah or Tawheed al Uludiyah, is in the fact that it is the very purpose for which the human beings have been created to worship Allah alone. It is for this reason that the books have been revealed and the prophets have been sent. It is for the purpose of establishing a tawheed, and no one would enter the Jinnah without it. Which type of shirk is referred to in the word ikhlas ad for Allah? The type of tawheed is referred to in this principle in the words of Imam Harim al Wahab, ikhlas ad lillah. It is Tawheed al-Uluhiyah, or Tawheed al-Ubudiyah. And from the perspective of Allah, al-Uluhiyah, it means that He is the only Ilah. And from the perspective of the creatures, al-Ubudiyah, it means that the worship should be given to Allah alone. And the meaning of the two are the same. And that the actions of the human being should be directed towards Allah alone without making any partner with Him. 
how can one achieve this ikhlas of deen for Allah alone? How can it be achieved? But Imam Muhammad ibn Sali and Husaymin, rahimahullah, in his explanation of these principles that we have discussed, he has stated three important points, or we might even add to them a fourth. And he said that the way that ikhlas in deen, that singling out worship for Allah alone can be achieved, is that a person has ikhlas in his qaf, in his intention, in his niyyah. That whatever he does, the foundation of it, the source of it has to be that it is done purely for the sake of Allah alone, not for any other reason or any other benefit. And that he has to be mukhlisan, and he's sincere in his muhabba, in his love of Allah alone. Because whoever loves Allah alone, then that one, he will obey Allah, and he will do what Allah has commanded him to do. وَمُخْلِصًا لِلَّهِ فِي In the glorification and exaltation of Allah, he should be sincere, because the one who glorifies Allah and exalts Allah, he will not disobey him. In that way, the person will fulfill the commands of Allah and avoid his prohibitions. And if his intention in what he has done in fulfilling Allah's commands and avoiding his prohibitions is sincerely for Allah alone, his need is for Allah alone, then that is the way to achieve the class and deen. And also the Shaykh has added to this that he should be muqlisan billahi fi zahirihi wa batinihi. And inwardly and outwardly. Not only showing the appearance of sincerity for Allah, but in the heart it has to be also present. Explain how shaitan has deceived many of the people in reference to this fundamental. One of his first fundamental, al-aql al-awwal. It is that when the condition of the Muslims reached the condition that it reached, I mean that the people deviated and lost the knowledge of the deen and began to go astray, then shaitan has made al-ikhlaq, and in worshipping Allah alone, he has made it appear to the people as though it is belittling and degrading and taking from the status of the righteous, the salihin, the awliya of Allah, whatever. He has made it appear to them as though this is taken from them and it is not fulfilling their rights and it is not giving them what they have a right to. And in fact, the rights that the people are giving to them is the rights which are the exclusive rights of Allah alone. And he has also made shirk billah, associating something with Allah, he has presented to them in the form of being muhabbatul salihin. He has made their acts of shirk, whatever they have offered to the so-called awliya or the saints or whatever, he has made those acts of worship which they have given to them appear as though this is in fact a demonstration of your love for the righteous. And in fact it is shirk. Of course the person will be punished in the fire eternally. Number seven, define a shirk and its division. A shirk it is associating something with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or someone with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that which is the exclusive right of Allah alone. Associating someone, whether saying that they have a right to that thing or that they share in it or whatever. Associating anyone, anything with Allah in that which is his exclusive right. And that includes the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who will be that he is the only Rabb, the Lord and Creator and the one who gives life and death and controls the affairs of the universe alone without sharing, uh, without anyone sharing in that and also his Uluhiyah, that he is the divine one that deserves to be worshipped. As now it's that he is alone in having the right to be described with the perfect name, the perfect qualities that he has described himself with in the Quran, or with which he has been described by the Prophet in the authentic Sunnah. The divisions of Shirk, the Shirk has been divided into different divisions by different scholars in different ways. However, Shaykh Muhammad bin Salih Uthameen, Rahimahullah, has divided Shirk here 
into two divisions. He says that shirk is of two divisions, and here he is referring to the types of shirk, meaning major shirk and minor shirk. He says shirk is of two types, shirk akbar and shirk asgar. Shirk akbar, major shirk, this is that which takes the person out of Islam. The person who falls into that, it takes them out of Islam. They are not a Muslim while they are doing such, and only if they repent sincerely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, could they be, could they escape from the consequences of that major shirk, which means that they would be in the fire eternally. Then the shirk has, this, the, the shirk, he has defined major shirk as every type of shirk that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or the Prophet sallallahu every type of action that he has described with the description of shirk. While it is a complete nullification of the, of the Tawheed, yani that which totally nullifies Tawheed, this is what we are talking about when we say major shirk. That thing which nullifies a person's tawheed and takes them out of Islam. The other type of shirk is shirk asghar, and it is every action or every deed that a person does, whether it is action or speech, every deed that a person does, which has been described by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the Prophet وسلم, as being shirk. It has been described as being shirk, however, it does not completely or totally nullify the Tawheed. And it is a type of shirk which affects the Tawheed. It affects its perfection or decreases its perfection. However, it doesn't totally nullify the Tawheed and it doesn't take a person out of Islam. It is still shirk, but it is called shirk asghar because the person who commits such shirk, he doesn't, he is not removed from Islam. And he would not be subject to be punished in the hellfire eternally. The last question gives some examples of different types of shirk. When the shirk, the shaykh, rahimahullah, has mentioned in his shark and his explanation, a number of different types of shirk, from amongst them, he mentioned shirk in speech, in the hadith in which it is reported that a man came to the Prophet and said, MashaAllah wa shirk. It is the will of Allah and your will. And the Prophet said to him, have you made me as an equal with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? He said, Qul Allah wahda. Say, it is the will of Allah alone. This is a type of shirk. Shirk in speech. The person says, it is the will of Allah and your will. That means he has associated. He has made equal the will of Allah with the will of a human being. And this is shirk. Shirk in speech. It is minor shirk. Also, he has mentioned shirk in swearing. Shirk in halat. He said, that is that which has been mentioned by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in the hadith in which he said, "Man halafa bi Whoever swears by other than Allah, then he has fallen into disbelief or into shirk. Whoever swears by other than Allah. So also this is a type of shirk. It is minor shirk, except for the conditions that we have discussed in Kitab Tawheed previously. That is, unless the person who swears by other than Allah actually believes that the thing or the one that they are swearing by is equal to Allah in ta'zeem. And of course, most people who swear by other than Allah, they are not thinking that that thing which they are swearing by is equal to Allah. However, if a person did believe that, then in that case, swearing by other than Allah would not be minor shirk. It would be major shirk that takes the person out of his land. And likewise, he mentioned another important example of a hadith in which the people came to the Prophet wasallam. A group of people came to him and said, Ya Rasulullah, Ya Khayrana wa Khayra ibnina. They said, O Messenger of Allah, O the one who is the best of us, and the one who is the, the son of the best of us. And they went on praising the Prophet and then he responded to them saying, Ya Yuhannas, Kulu bi qawlikum, wa la yastahwiyannakum al-shaytan. 
say what you are saying, but don't make, let shaitan seduce you into following your hawa, your desire, so that you go to the extreme in praising me. Or in that case, for praising anyone else who is less than the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said to them, Ana Muhammadun Abdullah wa Rasuluhu. I am Muhammad, the slave of Allah and his messenger. That is the status that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him, the status of an abd, ubudiyyah to Allah, and the status of a rasul, a risala. And he said, that is sufficient for me. Now, kabbu and farafaruni fawtaman bilati allati anzalni Allah azza wa jalla. I don't like that you should raise me up above the status that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to me or assigned to me. The next asal that the Shaykh has mentioned, Al-Asl al-Thani, he said, Al-Asl al-Thani, Amr Allah bil-ijtima'i fi'l-deeni, wa naha an al-tafarruku fihi, fabayyan Allah hadha bayyanan shafiyan, fathamhu al-awam, wa nahana an nakuna, kalladhina tafarruku wa tafarruku, qablana fahalakuna. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us to ijtima' unity and community and coming together. He has ordered us that the Muslims should be together in ijtima' and, and likewise in the deen of Islam. And he said, and likewise, an And he has prohibited us from separation in division and disunity in the deen of Allah. This is a very important principle that came in the Qur'an and so many places also in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu the order of being together, of sticking together, of uniting with one another and helping one another and supporting one another and working together in the deen of Allah and not separating and dividing and, dis- and being disunited. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made this very clear, unequivocally clear, such that even the common people can understand it. And likewise, He has prohibited us from being like those who have separated and divided themselves and differed amongst themselves. The people before us, Sahalafu, and then as a result of that, they were destroyed. And those who divided themselves and separated from one another and differed and argued and disputed with one another, the end result of that was that they were destroyed. And has mentioned that he has ordered the Muslims with an ijtima coming together and being together and being united in the deen of Allah. And he has prohibited them from the tafarruq wanahahum and tafarruq fihi. He has prohibited us from separating and dividing with one another, from one another. And what increases the clarity of this matter is that which has been reported in the Sunnah, and such amazing things in this matter, the matter of the order of being united and not separating, from then the matter reached the point. It reached the point. Then the matter reached the point, yani the condition of the Muslims, the situation reached the point where the people lost the they lost the correct understanding. It reached the point where an ifirah, separation and division and disunity in the usul of the deen and in the furu' of the deen. And the usul means in the fundamentals, the basics of the deen, meaning the aqidah, the belief, the creed. The different separation and division in the fundamentals of the deen, in the Islamic beliefs, and in the furu, the secondary matters, meaning in the Islamic jurisprudence, in the fiqh, in the matters of fiqh, 
separation and division in the fundamentals and in the secondary matters, it became considered as al-ilm al-fiqh. And the people began to think that separation and division and disunity, that this is real knowledge and this is real understanding in the deen. وَصَارَ الْإِجْتِمَاعُ فِي الدِّينِ لَا يَقُولُهُ إِلَّا زِنْدِيكُمْ فَالْمَجْمُونَ And the one who calls to unity and being united and being together in community, it reached the point where the one who calls to this ijtima' fi deen that the Muslims should come together and be together, they said no one says it, no one calls to it except a zindiq, heretic, or atheist, or free thinker. They are the only ones who call to such. Yani, that was the extent to which they have deviated that the one who calls the Muslims to be together, they said this one is a heretic, he's a deviant. He has lost his understanding, he has lost the deen. Or a majnoon person, or he has lost his, his mind. Uh, here again the Shaykh has discussed, and Shaykh Muhammad Nisali Uthameen Rahimahullah has discussed a number of very important matters. Of course the discussion is a lengthy discussion, so what we intend to do is just to look at the questions, and those questions were placed with the intention of trying to focus on the important matters of what he has discussed in the explanation of this principle. The first question, what is Al-Aqal Al-Thani? The second fundamental mentioned by the author. Al-Aqal Al-Thani is Al-Ijtima'at Al-Dineen. وَالنَّحْيُ عَنْ أَتَّفَرُّقِهِ يعني that the Muslims should come together in unity. They should have togetherness in community in the deen. And that they are prohibited from separation and division in the deen of Allah. And that we should not be like those who came before, who differed with one another, and as a result of their difference, they separated and became disunited. But we should be like the companions of the Prophet When they differed with one another, it wasn't a cause for them to separate and disunite. They accepted, uh, one, they accepted the difference from amongst them as long as it was a legitimate difference. And it wasn't in those things that, uh, was, that was clear to them from and that which there is no room for difference of opinion. And that will be discussed later on in one of the other uh, questions. Um, the second question mentioned is proof from the Quran for this asal. And the Shaykh has mentioned a number of proofs. The clearest of them, Allah knows that, is that which is mentioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Ali Imran, chapter 3, verse 102 and 103, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed the believers. Ya ayyuhi ladina amanu, ittaqu Allah haqqa tukatihi, wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. All you who believe, fear Allah as he should be feared. And do not die except as Muslimun, except as Muwahidun, the people of Tawheed. وَعَتَّقِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا وَلَا تُقَرَّقُونَ And these words are very clear. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered us in this ayat, وَعَتَّقِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ And hold fast to the rope of Allah. That means the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the deen of Allah. Hold fast to the rope of Allah, جَمِيعًا, all together. Not disunited and separated, but جَمِيعًا. And also in this ayat, there is an indication, an ishara or a hint, to the fact that the unity of the Muslims is based on holding to the rope of Allah, holding to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. That is the basis of true unity. And whoever holds on to it, they will be united. And whoever deviates from it, they will be separated. Hold fast together, all together to the rope of Allah. And do not separate and be disunited. To the end of the ayah. The next question, what is the end result of separation and division? and an ikhtilaf differing. The end result of separation and division and differing 
is that which is mentioned further in the same chapter in verse 105. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibits us. And don't be like those who tafarraku, who separated and divided themselves. and differed and argued and disputed. Min after the clear evidences have come to them. azabun And these for them is a, is a tremendous, a terrible punishment. The end result of ikhtilaf and tafarruq, differing and disputing and arguing and separating amongst the believers, the end result of it is the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah has prohibited us from separating from one another and dividing ourselves and differing and disputing and arguing and fighting. The next question, uh, how does the author, that is Shaykh Muhammad uh, ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah, how does he describe the view of the latter generation concerning al-istirah, separation and division, and al-ijtima', unity and community and getting together? In the end of this asal, in the end of this principle he has said, then the matter reached the point such that al-tafarruq, Separation and division in the fundamentals of the deen, in the aqidah, and in the secondary branches of the deen, that is in jurisprudence, that this separation and division in these things, it became recognized as al-ilm wal-fiqh fid-deen. Yani the people began to believe that this was really the true knowledge, and this was the real understanding of the deen, while being united and coming together and working with one another in the deen, to describe their understanding of the matter, that they would say that no one falls to such except a deviant or a crazy person. Number five, what are the four categories of proof mentioned by the Sharih, that is the explainer or expounder of this second fundamental? Sheikh Muhammad ibn Taliyah has been mentioned that this great principle it is proved and it is indicated in a number of sources of evidences. The first of them, Kitab Allah, the Book of Allah, and the second of them, the Sunnah or the Messenger of Allah وسلم, The third of them, the practice or the actions of the Sahaba And the last of them, the position or the understanding or the agreement of the Salaf al-Salih The righteous predecessors, yani those early generations of the Muslims Which actually includes the Sahaba as well as the Sabi'een and those who came after them And he said that these were the four main categories of proof that support this principle. The Book of Allah, the Quran, the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, the practice of Sahaba, and as well the practice of the righteous predecessors, the early generations of the Muslims. Mention a delil of proof from the second and third categories of proofs for this fundamental. Yani from the second and third categories, meaning from the Sunnah of the Prophet, وسلم, and from the practice of Sahaba. From the Sunnah, the Shaykh has mentioned. A number of hadith, and amongst them that which is reported about the Qali Muslim and Muslimu Akul Muslim. As a Muslim is the brother of a Muslim. And therefore he said he does not wrong him, nor abandon him, nor despise him. And he went on to say that Kullul Muslim ala Muslim haram, dammahu wa irduhu wa maluhu. That every Muslim to another Muslim is sacred. His blood and his life as well as his honor, speaking ill against him and as well as his wealth and his property. And he mentioned other hadith such as the hadith reported also in Bukhari Muslim and Mu'minu lil mu'mini kal bunyan that the believer to another believer is like a building, a solid structure. It should be ba'dahu ba'dan that some parts of it support 
other parts. This is the likeness of how the believers should be to one another, not separating from one another and hiding one another. And likewise, the hadith of Abi anhu, when the Prophet said, Shall I not inform you of that which is better, a higher status than fasting and prayer and sadaqah, meaning voluntary fasting and prayer and sadaqah? And they said, Please inform us. Yes, Bala, inform us. The Prophet said, correcting and rectifying and restoration of the relations between those who disputed from amongst the believers. Indeed, the one who foils these matters, who corrupts them and causes disputes and confusion amongst the believers, and this is al-halika, that which cuts or shaves or removes. And in one of the narrations of the hadith reported by Timothy, he said, I don't mean al-halika, meaning that which you shave the head with, but he said that al-halika means that which destroys the root of the deen itself. And its division and separation and disputing is that which destroys the deen itself from its root. And islah that in vain, and correcting and rectifying the disputes and problems between the Muslims and bringing them together, he said, this is better than voluntary fasting and prayer and charity, and rectifying the problems between the Muslims. What is meant by the expression of Salaf al-Salih? Salaf al-Salih, literally it means the predecessors of Salaf, those who came before you, and al-Salih, it means the righteous, the righteous predecessors, and it refers to Sahaba, radiallahu anhu, the companions of the Prophet, and those who came after them, the students, the Tabi'un, and those who came after them, Tabi'in, and whoever followed in their way. Number eight explains Al Qaeda, the principle which the Salaf al Sali, the righteous predecessors, have observed concerning Al Masal and Khilafiyah, differences of opinion. And this is a very important point which the Shaykh has stressed. What is the principle, the qaida, that the righteous predecessors, the Salaf al Sali, whether from amongst Sahaba or Tabi'in or those who came after them, what is the principle that they have observed, that they have recognized concerning Al Masal al Khilafiyah, any issues about which there is difference of opinion? And that qaida is that wherever there was a difference of opinion that is based upon ijtihad, it's not based on following desires, but it is based on sincere ijtihad by those who are the people qualified to make ijtihad. And it is from those things in which ijtihad is allowed, not in those things where there is no room for ijtihad. It is based, the difference of opinion is based on ijtihad. And it is in those things in which Ijtihad is allowed, he said, then they used to, some of them used to excuse others. And they didn't used to hold fight or enmity or hatred, but they used to consider one another as brothers. This is a very important principle that the Muslims today need to observe, that when there is a difference of opinion, that is based on Ijtihad. And it is in those matters in which Ijtihad is allowed, and we should excuse one another and overlook and retain our brotherhood. Uh, in what case or situation would al-khilaf, difference of opinion, not be allowed or accepted? Yani when is difference of opinion not allowed and when is it not accepted? And the Shaykh has also clarified this point by saying it is that difference which is in contradiction to what we have found agreed upon by the Sahaba and the Tabi'een in the early generation of the Muslims, like the issues of Aqidah in which the people have deviated, those who have deviated, whether from the amongst the Ashariyah or Jahmiyyah or Mu'atazila or whoever of the people, the Rafid, the Shia, all of those who have differed in the matters of Aqidah, it is in these matters that the matters of Aqidah especially, that there is no room for difference of opinion and more so if it is a matter about which it is clear that the position of the 
Sahaba, our companion of the Prophet was already established. However, if there is a matter about which there was difference of opinion in time of Sahaba, and it is of those things in which ijtihad is allowed, then it is permissible that there be difference of opinion amongst the people today. The last question is the hadith When the judge makes a ruling, he strives to reach the correct opinion and is correct. He will have two rewards. And if he strives to reach the correct opinion and then errors, he will have one reward. We quote about Bukhari and Muslim. The Prophet said in this hadith, that when the judge and he makes a ruling in the matter, and he makes ijtihad to reach the right opinion, and he reaches the correct opinion, then he gets two rewards. And if he and he made a ruling in a matter, but he erred, he reached the wrong opinion, then he will have one reward. The, some of the meanings of this hadith that may be derived from it is that the one who makes ijtihad, if he errs, he will still get a reward, even though he has erred, he has reached the wrong opinion. And that reward that he gets is based on his ijtihad, the effort that he has made. And also equally important is the point that his error is forgiven. His error is forgiven. It is not, it is not held against him that he has erred, because he is allowed to make ijtihad. And in fact, he is rewarded for his ijtihad. But he only gets one reward. While the one who reads the correct opinion gets the reward for his ijtihad as well as the reward for reaching the correct opinion. And this is also a proof that ijtihad is allowed until this day. And that ikhtilaf is also allowed, and it is not necessarily, in every case, a blameworthy or an condemnable matter. The third asal that an Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab has mentioned, an asal of Salif, very brief, although the explanation of it is somewhat lengthy, he said, Inna min tamam al ijtima'i al sam'a. That from the perfection or the completeness of ijtima coming together in unity and community, from the completion of it, that which completes it is as sam'a wa ta'a, hearing and obeying the one who has been placed in authority over us, and from amongst the Muslims. Even if he was an Ethiopian slave, and even if he was of the lowest status of the people, from slavery. The one who has been placed in authority over the Muslim must be obeyed. And this is part of the perfection of ijtima because it is through obedience to those in authority from amongst the Muslims that the Muslims are able to unite and come together. فَبَيْنَ اللَّهَ هَذَا بَيَانًا شَعِيًا كَافِيًا فِي وُجُوهٍ مِنْ أَنْوَاعِ الْبَيَانِ شَرْعًا وَقَدْرًا Then he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this very clear with an understanding that is common amongst the people that everyone has access to that is kafi and sufficient to remove all doubts or confusion by different ways of clarification shara'an wa qadaran shara'an yani that which came in the sharia meaning that which was revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala meaning the Qur'an and the authentic sunnah and qadaran meaning al-qadr al-qadar that which Allah has decreed which he has pre-decreed and then he executed his decree through these two things that which he has revealed and that which he has decreed and executed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made clear to us this principle of the importance of hearing and obeying. Then the matter reached the point where this particular principle became something unknown 
even among most of those who claim to have knowledge, who claim to be scholars. So if it is unknown amongst them, how can it be acted upon? And how do you expect that people will act upon if even those who claim to have knowledge, they also don't know? The questions that were mentioned with this lecture, the first of them, what is al aql al-Salif, the third fundamental mentioned by the author? It is that from the completion of the perfection of coming together, it is hearing and obeying those in authority from amongst the Muslims, Ulat al-Amr. And that is by fulfilling that which they have ordered us with and refraining from that which they have prohibited, from, prohibited us from, even if the one who has been placed in authority over us was an Ethiopian slave. That came in a hadith of the Prophet Number two, what are the two basic types of clarification? And while they end, mentioned by the author. The two types of clarification that the Shaykh has mentioned, it is that which he has clarified through the Sharia, Shara'an, and that which he has clarified through his divine decree, Hadaran, meaning Shara'an, that which Allah has revealed, the revelation, the Qur'an and the authentic Sunnah, and Hadaran, means that which Allah has decreed and executed. What does the author mean by making this matter clear? Shara'an, yani he means that he has made it clear through that which he has revealed in the revelation, and that which he has revealed in the Quran and Sunnah. The fourth question mentioned a proof from the Quran for this fundamental, this aqal. And the Shaykh has also mentioned in the Sharh a number of evidences from amongst them that which, report, that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in Surah Al-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 59. Ya ayyuhaladheena amana wa tiyullah wa tiyullah O you who believe, obey Allah, and obey the Messenger, and those who in authority come amongst you, and come amongst the Muslims. Whether it is the ulama, the scholars, or the umara, and the leaders, the rulers, obey those in authority from amongst you. And in the end of the ayat, it makes it clear that original obedience is due to Allah and His Messenger, and obedience to those in authority is as long as what they have ordered us to do is not in contradiction to the Quran. Or the Sunnah. Likewise, he has mentioned in Surah Al-Anfal, chapter 8, verse 46. Obey Allah and obey His Messenger. And do not dispute with one another. Do not dispute. Because in that case, you will lose courage and your power will be removed, will leave you. So be patient, and be patient, and verily Allah is with those who are patient. Mention a proof from the Sunnah for this fundamental, and again the Shaykh has mentioned a number of proofs. The first of them he mentioned is the Hadith of Ubal ibn Samir, which is mentioned by the Bukhari Muslim, in which he said, that, Allah, that the Prophet of Allah has taken allegiance from us upon on this matter of hearing and obeying, that which is pleasant to us, or that which is unpleasant, that which is difficult, difficult, and that which is easy, and even when we find the rulers giving preference to themselves over us. He said, don't dispute I mean, the authority of those who are in authority. And don't dispute the authority of those who have been given authority, unless you see amongst them and clear kufr that they have gone out of Islam and you have some proof, clear proof concerning their kufr. You have a clear proof 
from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concerning their kufr. In that case, they will be forbid. Likewise, he mentioned that whoever holds back his hand from obedience, then we will meet Allah in Yawmul Qiyamah without any proof for what he has done. Yeah, he's disobedient. And he said, here and obey, even if the one who is placed in authority over you is an Ethiopian slave. And he said that it is also obligatory on the Muslim person to hear and obey, and that what he loves and that what he hates, unless he is ordered to Hilla and Yu'amara bima'afiyah. Except the one who is ordered to do an act of disobedience to Allah, or whoever is ordered uh, to do, the ruler orders him to do that which is in disobedience to Allah, then in that case he shouldn't listen to him, nor should he obey him. Explain how Allah has made clear this matter qadaran. Yani in what way has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this principle of hearing and obeying clear by his divine decree? And the Shaykh said that if we look at the condition of the Muslim Ummah at the time when they were holding fast to their deen, when they were united upon the deen, and while they were respecting those in authority from amongst them, and obeying their authorities in the ma'roof, in that which they ordered them to do of good, in that, in that time we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed, and he executed his decree, and he made the Muslim Ummah to have supremacy and rule and dominion in the upper hand in the earth. When they deviate from that, from the deen, and refuse to obey those in authority from amongst them, then they lost authority on the earth and became those who were ruled by others. The last question, what has the Sharih, the explainer, that is Shaykh Muhammad bin Salih suggested as being obligatory upon us all, the rulers and the ruled? What has he suggested as being obligatory upon us all in order to be amongst the Zaidin, the successful, the winners, and those who earn success? in this life and, and, and more so in the next life. He says that the wajib, that which is obligatory upon all of us, the wajib arayna jami'an, ru'at wa ra'iyya, the rulers as well as those who are ruled, that everyone should fulfill the obligations which Allah has placed upon them. And the rulers have to fulfill the obligations and the rule, the subjects also have to fulfill the obligations that Allah has placed upon them, having love for one another and cooperating with one another in righteousness and society, and coming together for the benefit, for the general common benefit of the people, and that way we will be of those successful. Likewise, he has said that we should join together. That we should join together based on the truth. And we should support and cooperate with one another based on the truth. And likewise, he said, that we should have a plot of sincerity in all of our actions, and that we should strive for one goal, and that is the correction and reformation of this Ummah, the correction and reformation in worldly matters as well as in religious matters, we said we should do so to the best of our ability, but we will never be able to do that until we agree to come together and unite upon one word for unity and we avoid uh, disputing with one another and opposing one another, uh, this disputing and opposition, it would only cause us to lose that which we have as an objective and maybe even to lose, to lose that which we have already gained. The fifth fundamental al-asl al-khamis that the Sheikh has mentioned. Huh? Fourth? Fourth. The fourth al-asl al-rabi'
the fifth principle or the fourth principle, the Asl al Rabia, that the Shaykh had mentioned, is Bayan al Ilm al Ulama, al Fiqh al Fuqaha, the Bayan meant to Shabbah Habihim, the Laytamin, and a clarification of what is real true knowledge, it is Quran and Sunnah, and who are the true Ulama, those who follow the Quran and Sunnah, what is the true Fiqh, understanding, and who are the true Fuqaha, planning, who are the true Fuqaha, the people who understand. The laws of Islam, the true legislation that Allah has revealed, and also the clarification of those who imitate them or who try to resemble them but are not from amongst them. Try to resemble the ulama and the fuqaha but are not really from amongst them. وقد بين الله هذا العصر في أول سورة البقرة من قوله تعالى أن الله سبحانه وتعالى يكلم this fundamental in the early part of Surah Al-Baqarah from the day of Bani Israel. أذكروا نعمتي التي أنعمت عليكم وأوفوا بأحدي أوفوا بأحدكم. That all Bani Israel, all children of Israel, remember my favor which I have bestowed upon you to fulfill my covenant, and I will fulfill your covenant. And also to the end of those ayat, we have said, Ya Bani Israel, أذكروا نعمتي التي أنعمت عليكم وأني فضلتكم على العالمين. Oh Bani Israel, remember. My favor, which I have bestowed upon you, and that I have given you preference over the other nations, the other nations of their time. For you see, the wudu and ma sarahat bi sunnah, and what also makes it more clear is what the sunnah has stated clearly. He has a in this matter, al kalam al kathir, al bayin al wadi, al ami wal baleed. I mean, so much what has been said in the sunnah, which is very clear and obvious. That it is understandable to the common people and even to the person who is not intelligent. ثم صار هذا أغرب الأشياء وصار العلم والذكر والبدع والضلالة. Then the matter reached the point where the true knowledge of the, يعني the true علم and the true فقه and the true scholars, it reached the point where this became the strangest of things and where علم and فقه it became, يعني the people being understood that. Ilm and Fiqh is that which is innovation and astray deviations. The innovations became true Ilm and true Fiqh, and the deviations became true Ilm and true Fiqh. وَفِي خِيَارُ مَا عِنْدَهُمْ لَبْسُ الْحَقِّ بِالْبَاطِلِ And the best of what they held, those people, it was mixing truth with falsehood. يعني the best of what they had. If it wasn't outright lies, it was mixing the truth with falsehood. It was part of Ilm and the Deen. فرضه الله تعالى على الخلق، and it reached the point where the knowledge, the true knowledge which Allah سبحانه وتعالى made obligatory on the creatures، ومدحه and praises، لا تفوه به إلا زنديق أو مجنون. nobody would speak, would speak it or speak about it except a zindik, a heretic, or a stray person, a crazy person. وقارن أنصره وعاده وصنف في التحذير منه. وَنَحْلِ أَنْهُ هُوَ الْحَقِيقُ الْعَالِمُ and then they began to believe that the one who opposed or rejected or disputed the true knowledge, who rejected it and opposed it and authored books warning against it and prohibiting it, and that one was considered as الْحَقِيقُ الْعَالِمُ the true scholar. And that was as things became distorted and the people people truly believed. The questions that we have mentioned here, the first of them is the Sufi al Rabia, the fourth fundamental mentioned by the Mu'allif, the Rasa, it is clarification of knowledge and the people of knowledge, the ulama and the fiqh and the fuqaha. 
the basis of that knowledge and that this is the Quran, an authentic Sunnah, as well as the clarification of those who imitate them that are not from them. Who are the two ulama meant by the Mu'allif? In this fundamental, he means al-ulama wabbaniyun. And it's also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran who act in accordance with their knowledge. Those who act and who practice that which they know. Those who teach the people the Sharia of their Lord, that is the Quran and Sunnah, and who advise the people sincerely, and who desire to reach the truth, and who earnestly seek the truth, and who sincerely advise the people based on the Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who does he mean when he says, those who tashabbahabihim, those who imitate them, or try to resemble them, but are not from amongst them, he means those who might look like them in outward appearance, in their speech or in their actions, but they are not like them, or they are not from them in sincerely advising the people with the truth, and in sincerely seeking the truth. These are the people who mix truth with falsehood. And they express that which they uh, advise the people with, with. They express it in language that is attractive in order to deceive them. And these are the leaders of Bid'ah and those who lead the people astray. What is the, which is the ilm that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made obligatory upon the creatures and praised it? It is an ilm al-shari'i, the legal knowledge, the sharia, the sharia of Allah. That is what Allah has revealed to his messenger. That which Allah has revealed to his messenger, this is the knowledge which Allah has made obligatory on us and which he has praised. It is the Qur'an and the authentic Sunni. These are both the revelation and it is the obligatory knowledge and it is that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has praised. It is the tip based on al-kitab the sunnah the Qur'an and the example of the Prophet Can there be any benefit in the worldly knowledge explain the related qa'idah or the related principles? Yani, Shaykh Muhammad said, indeed there can be benefit in worldly knowledge. He said that worldly knowledge it has two edges. It can benefit or it can harm. It is possible that there can be benefit from worldly knowledge. He said, the worldly knowledge that benefits is that which supports or aids the people to obey Allah or supports the deen of Allah or that which the slaves of Allah benefit from. He said that that knowledge, if it is a means to leading to good, then it is good. And if it is a means that leads to evil, then it is evil. And if it doesn't lead to good or evil, then it is just a waste of time. It is wasting time, it is useless. So here, the Sheikh has said that the principle here, to know which knowledge is beneficial, if it is a means that leads to good, it is good. And if it is a means that leads to evil, it is evil. And if it doesn't lead to either, then it is just a waste of time. Mention some of the fadal or virtues. virtues of al-ilm al-shari'i, religious knowledge. And the Shaykh has mentioned a number of the superior, the virtues or the superior characteristics of al-ilm al-shari'i, religious knowledge. The first of them is that it raises the degrees of the person in this life and in the next life. It raises their status. The second of them is that the religious knowledge it is the inheritance of the Prophet That which the Prophet leaves as inheritance, it is this knowledge. It is not wealth or material things. Number three, that the person would benefit from it even after their death. And the religious knowledge, the knowledge of Quran and Sunnah, that a person spreads amongst the people, even after they die, as long as the people is benefiting from their knowledge, it will also benefit them and they will continue to be rewarded. Also, it is one of the two uh, ni'mah or bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it is allowed 
unpermissible for a person to be jealous of another person concerning it. And also he said that the ilm itself is a light that enlightens the path for the believers in their worship of Allah and in their dealings with the other people. And the alim who has true knowledge is also a light that the people are guided by and they follow him in their worldly affairs as well as in the matters of deen. What is the qissa or the story mentioned by the Sharih Muhammad ibn Salih Rahimahullah showing the difference between the alim, scholar, and the jahil, ignorant person? It is the story of the man from Bani Israel who killed 99 people. And he went to the jahil, avid worshipper, who was ignorant, who didn't have knowledge. And he said, is there any repentance for me? He said, no. He said, then he killed him also. And he, he didn't benefit anyone nor benefit himself. When he went to the scholar, the knowledgeable person, he asked him, is there any benefit, any tawbah, repentance for me? Based on knowledge, he said, yes, there is repentance for you. What is there to prevent you from repenting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And he advised him to leave the land that he was in and go to the people who were worshipping Allah alone. So that if he sincerely repented, he would be in an environment that would help him to remain on the right path. And this or this story, which is a true hadith from the Prophet of the earlier nations, shows the difference between the person who has knowledge, who can benefit himself and benefit others, and the one who is ignorant, who harms himself and harms others. How is the author described those who are today considered as al-Saqi, al-Alam? He said the one who is considered today as scholars are those who reject and dispute the true knowledge of Quran and Sunnah, those who oppose it, and those who author books warning against the true knowledge and prohibiting it. They are the ones who are today considered as scholars. Those who say you can't go directly to the Quran and Sunnah, and you have to follow the opinions of scholars and the opinions of the Fuqaha in their books, and you can't make ishtihad. Those who warned against the true knowledge and who opposed it and who prohibited it, these are the ones who are today considered as the scholars. Now, it's better that we finish today so that we don't go on. Uh, if we can finish the fifth principle, whoever is able, inshallah, uh, we can come back after the salat and finish the last principle so that next week, inshallah, we can go on with the exam. And the Ibn 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 لأولياء الله the clarification of Allah who are his awliya who are the true awliya of Allah the friends of Allah those who are near to Allah وتفريقه بينهم وبين المتشبهين بهم and his distinguishing between the two awliya of Allah and those who resemble them or those who try to imitate them من عداء الله المنافقين والتجار from amongst the enemies of Allah that is the hypocrites and the corrupt ones ويكفي في هذا آية من سورة آل عمران and he said it is sufficient to clarify this matter. An ayah from Surah Ali Imran, chapter 3, verse 31. This is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said to the Prophet, say to them, that if you love Allah, then follow me. Then he, that is Allah, will love you and he will forgive your sins. And in this ayah there is a proof that uh, the clarification of who are the real awliya of Allah, those whom Allah would love and those who love him, it is an ittiba' following the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And also an ayah in Surah Al-Ma'idah, uh, 
in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the same Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Maidah chapter 5 verse 54 Ya ayya ladhina amanu may yarsadda minkum an deenin tasawdiyya billah bi qawman bi qawman yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbun that all you who believe whoever turns back on your deen then Allah will bring the people and he will come with the people yuhibbuhum whom he loves wa yuhibbunahu and they love him and again al-mahabba and the love of Allah and the love of the people for Allah is the sign those who are the real awliya of Allah, those who are near to Allah uh, indeed. Likewise, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Yunus chapter 10 verse 62, أَلَا إِنَّ أَوْلِيَاءَ اللَّهِ لَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَزَانُوا يَسْتَقُونَ That is it not so that the awliya of Allah are those who have no fear, nor do they grieve, they are those who الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا And this is the first of the two, that means fundamental characteristics of the awliya of Allah, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Those who believe were in man وَكَانُوا يَسْتَقُونَ And those who fear Allah who have taqwa When the matter reached the point where most of those who claim knowledge and claim that they are the guides of the creatures and the preservers of the sharia it reached the point where they held that the awliya of Allah لَبُدَّ فِيهِمْ مِنْ تَرْبَ اتِّبَعَ الرَّسُولِ That no one can be from the awliya of Allah unless he abandoned following the messengers and whoever follows them, whoever follows the messengers is not from the awliya. And also it was a necessity, according to their opinion, that it is of a necessity in order for someone to be from the awliya of Allah that he must abandon jihad. And whoever uh, performs the jihad that he is not from the awliya of Allah. And also it was a necessity, according to their opinion, to abandon al-Iman, that is true faith, and the taqwa, righteousness, that is, and he fulfilling the commands of Allah and avoiding the prohibition. And whoever and he requires of himself to have iman and taqwa, then he is not in the awliya of Allah. And the shaykh pray for Allah, make us of those who you pardon our sins and who you grant us well-being, or protect us from the harms of our sins. Sunnah al dua, you are the one who hears the dua. Uh, the questions concerning this principle, the first of them is just briefly the fifth fundamental mentioned by the author. It is the clarification of who are the awliya of Allah and distinguishing them from those who resemble them or imitate them. What is the first sign of Allah's mahabba mentioned by the author in Surah Ali Imran chapter 3 verse 31? It is the saying of Allah in which he mentions that indeed if you love Allah then follow me. And he, the true sign of mahabba which is following and ittiba, following the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Mentioned the four awsaqa characteristics of those who Allah loves and who love him. That is in Surah Al-Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 54. In the ayat which the author has mentioned just the beginning of it and in the end of it, he described those whom Allah would bring after the others deviated from the deen. He said he would love them and they would love him and he gave them, he described them with four characteristics Adillatin ala al-mu'mineen Adillatin ala al-mu'mineen that they would be humble to the believers Wa'izlatin ala al-kafirin and stern against the disbelievers Yujahiduna fi sabirillah They would strive and fight in the way of Allah Wala yakhafuna lawma salahim And they would not fear those who blame them And he would blame them for that which they did for the sake of Allah Mention the two main awtaqa characteristics of the awliya of Allah that is mentioned in chapter 10 verse 62 that is the saying of Allah it is those who have iman and those who have taqwa and here iman means that which is in the heart the conviction 
that is in the heart and taqwa means the action of the limbs or the body parts. Now, the next question mentioned the two tabaqa levels of the awliya of Allah mentioned in the Quran in chapter 35 verse 32. Shaykh Muhammad Sahih Taymiyyah mentioned that the two levels of the awliya of Allah so they are not all equal, they are the sabiqoon and muqarrabun, the foremost, or the forerunners, or foremost in doing good deeds and those who are near to Allah, and the ashabul yameen, or the muqtasidun, ashabul yameen, the companions of the right hand, those who are moderate in doing good deeds. And in the sabiqoon, it means those who not only do that which Allah has ordered them with, but even that which is commendable, which is not obligatory. And they not only uh, hold themselves back from that which Allah has prohibited, but even those things which are makhroof or detestable, while they may not be haram, while the muqtasidun are those who limit themselves just to doing that which Allah has commanded and avoiding that which Allah has prohibited and not going beyond it. Mentioned the four maratib or degrees, the servants of Allah mentioned in the Quran, in Surah Al-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 69, it is those who obey Allah and His Messenger, said that whoever obeys Allah and his messenger, then they will be those whom Allah gives his favor to amongst the prophets, and the truthful, and the martyrs, and the righteous. Explain the argument against those who claim to be awliya. Then the argument that the Shaykh has mentioned against those who say that they are wali of Allah, that they are saints, or that they are the friends of Allah, those near to Allah, it is based on the ayat that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Najm chapter 53 verse 32 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibits us from ascribing to ourselves purity or righteousness He said Allah subhanahu He is the one who knows best those who have taqwa and taqwa is one of the characteristics of the awliya of Allah and Allah said don't ascribe righteousness to yourself don't claim that you are of the people of taqwa Allah knows best who has taqwa. The shaykh says, whoever claims to be of the awliya of Allah, then they have ascribed righteousness to themselves. And in that case, they have fallen into disobedience to Allah. Allah has prohibited. He has prohibited. So whoever does so, then they have fallen into disobedience to Allah, and they have done that which Allah has prohibited. And this is the negation of taqwa, and therefore it is the negation of their claim to be of the people of taqwa, that is the awliya of Allah. The Tazda Qaeda are the rule concerning the acceptance of the sayings of men. And the Qaeda are the rule that the Shaykh has mentioned here is that every person who takes from what he says, we may take it or we may leave it. Every person, every scholar, whoever he may be, we may take or leave what he has said. Except the Messenger of Allah. And this is one of the differences between the Prophet and the Awliya of Allah. The prophets, we must obey whatever they order us with and we must believe whatever they inform us of. Not so the awliya of Allah. What will following men in contradiction to the sharia lead a person to? And it's those who follow the opinions of men. Instead of following the sharia, instead of following the Quran and the sunnah, then those people, he said, it would lead them first to bid'ah and dalala. If they oppose the sunnah and the sharia, they will fall into innovation and they will go astray. And in the end, it will lead them to kufra and nifaq, to disbelief. And hypocrisy. And the last question, uh, we will leave on this question. Mention the two reasons for which a karama is given to a wali of Allah. And the Shaykh says that the karama is given to the wali of Allah for two reasons as a hujjah in the deen or as a hajjah to fulfill the needs of the people. Yani, the first reason it is the proof in the deen he is given. Yani, this karama comes, you know, uh, 
that which is beyond the natural things or outside of the common occurrences or ability of the people, Allah allows such a thing to happen for some of the people who believe in him either as, as a proof in the deen so that they may call the people to the correct way or to fulfill the needs of the people. And if the people were hungry, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided the food for the people from that which was a small amount of food to feed a large amount of people and so on to fulfill the needs of the people who said and this doesn't mean that the one who doesn't get a karama that it is a defect in his relationship to Allah in fact, indeed those whose status is close to Allah and near to Allah it may be that nothing unnatural or uh, nothing unusual may happen for them and it is because they are not in need of such they are not in need their condition is that they are above need of such incidences and therefore maybe nothing like this will happen for them it is indeed a proof of the perfection of their wilaya or their nearness to Allah and not necessarily uh, an indication of the defect in their relationship to Allah and this is proven by the fact that the amount of karamat that have happened in time of sahaba are very few while the karamat that happened in time of the tabi'un is much more showing that the need for sahaba of such was less all those who came after them was more inshallah we will stop here and those who are able inshallah after the salat will come back and complete the last principle uh, and if anyone has any question after that you can ask for during the week uh, next week on Thursday we have the examination for those who intend to take it. It's not obligatory, however, we encourage everyone to take the exam, it's for your own benefit, and inshallah the exam will be reasonable. It will not be very difficult, whoever has listened to the answers this evening, then there will be no question outside of what we have said. Alhamdulillah, uh, Alhamdulillah, in the next few moments we would like to complete the review uh, with the last principle that Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdi Wahhab rahimahullah has mentioned in his book Al-Usul Sitta, Al-Asl Al-Sadis, Rad Al-Shubhati, Al-Lati Wada'aha Al-Shaytan, Al-Tark Al-Quran, Al-Sunnati, Al-Tiba'a Al-Araq, and in this principle, which is dealing with ijtihad and al-tahleed, and in the, the, the matter of ijtihad in the deen, or blindly following the opinions of others, the shaykh has said, rahimahullah, that this principle, it is the refutation, rad al-shubha, refutation, or the answer to the shubha, the doubtful matter. التي وضعها الشيطان which shaytan has contrived or invented or put down في ترك القرآن والسنة يعني abandoning the Quran and Sunnah making ijtihad based upon the Quran and Sunnah 
واتباع الاراء والاهواء المتفرقه المختلفه but rather instead of making ijtihad based on the Quran and Sunnah rather we should follow what is suggested by shaitan and those evil scholars who mislead the people it is suggested that we should follow the opinions and the desires the different various opinions and desires which separate and disunite the people this shubha the shaykh he says wahiya anna alquran wa sunnata la ya'rifuhuma illa almushahid almutlaq yani the matter that he has put forward that he has placed in front of the people to deceive them it is that the quran and the sunnah it cannot be known what cannot be understood except by the mujtahid mutlaq the mujtahid who is who has the absolute right of ijtihad not even within the bounds or the rules or the principles of a madhhab but total independent ijtihad no one except the one who has reached that level of absolute ijtihad can open the quran and sunnah and understand then al-imam muhammad ibn abi wahhab says wal mujtahidu according to them the mujtahid huwa al-mawsuq fi kada wa kada awsafan la'allaha la tujad damatan fi abi bakr wa umar radiyallahu anhuma then he said that the mujtahid he is the one that is described with such and such characteristics characteristics perhaps they are not completely found even in the likes of abu bakr siddiq radiyallahu anhu and umar ibn khattab radiyallahu anhu the best of the companions of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam If they are not found completely fulfilled in the likes of these, then what about others after them? فَإِنْ لَمْ يَكُنِ الْإِنسَانُ كَذَلِكَ If a person doesn't fulfill these conditions, or is not described with these characteristics that they have laid out for the mujtahid mutlaq, if a person is not like that, فَلْيَعَرِدْ أَنْهُمَا فَرْضًا حَتْمًا لَا شَكَّ وَلَا إِشْكَالْ فِيهِ Then the person must turn away from it. And he must not approach the Qur'an and Sunnah. Fardan hatman, it is obligatory on him, it is of a necessity that he must turn away from opening or يعني, attempting to take directly from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and the sunnah this is a matter about which there is no doubt and there is no difference. وَمَنْ طَلَبَ الْهُدَى مِنْهُنَا فَهُوَ إِمَّا ذَنْدِيكٌ وَإِمَّا مَجْمُونٌ And whoever seeks the guidance, the huda, directly from these two sources, from the Qur'an and Sunnah, And he is either a, a zindiq, a deviant, a freethinker, an atheist, or a heretic, or he is a person who doesn't have any sense, and an insane person, majnoon, crazy person. لِأَجْلِ صُعُوبَةِ فَهْمِهِمَا يعني Why is it that nobody should open these sources? It is due to the fact that it is too difficult to understand these sources. He said that the reason why no one should open these sources is due to the difficulty The difficulty, as they claim, the Qur'an and Sunnah is too difficult to understand And it is the source of guidance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to humanity in the day of Qiyamah And they say you cannot understand Only a mujtahid mutlaq Subhanallah wa bihamdihi Yani the shaykh, Subhanallah wa bihamdihi Allah is the one who is free 
of imperfection, the one who is perfect and the one who is worthy of praise. It is a declaration of amazement that no one can understand the Qur'an. How can it be so? كَمْ بَيَّنَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ شَرْعًا وَقَدَرًا خَلْقًا وَعَمْرًا فِي رَدِّ هَذِهِ الشُبْهَةِ الْمَلْعُونَةِ مِنْ وُجُوهٍ شَفَّى بَلَغَتْ إِلَى حَدِّ الدُّرُورِيَاتِ الْعَامَةِ He said how much or how many times or in how many places has Allah subhanahu made clear شَرْعًا وَقَدَرًا and that which He has revealed in the legislation of Qur'an and Sunnah or that which He has executed in the divine decree or that which he has created and that which he has commanded in the reputation of this accursed doubtful matter, this shubha mal'una, from different perspectives, which reach the degree of it being of ad-dururiyat al-amah. al-amah, it means those things that must of a necessity be known by everyone, by the common masses of the people. It is of those things in Islam that everyone is required to know, not like the matters of inheritance that only specialists know or the detailed matters of aqidah, of asma, of sifat that only the learned people know. But it has reached the clarification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and these matters reached the point that it is of the things that of necessity must be, must be known even by the common masses of the people. But most of the people do not know. Then he mentions the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, لَقَدْ حَقَّ الْقَوْلِ عَلَىٰ أَكْثَرِهِمْ فَهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ That indeed the word has proved true, the word of punishment. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that, the, that they will be punished, it has proved true against most of the people. فَهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Because they do not believe. إِنَّا جَعَلْنَا فِي عَنَاقِهِمْ أَغْلَالًا فَهِيَ إِلَى الْأَذَقَانِ فَهُمْ مُحْمَحُونَ And he said here that this is the description that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described the people with that we have made in their necks iron collars that raise up upon their chin, forcing their heads upward, making their heads to be upward. Their heads are raised up. وَجَعَلْنَا مِنْ بَيْنِ أَيْدِيهِمْ سَدًّا وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ سَدًّا And we have placed in front of them barriers, and behind them barriers. فَأَغَشَيْنَاهُمْ فَهُمْ لَا يُبْسِرُونَ We have covered them, so they do not see. وَسَوَاءً عَلَيْهُمْ أَأَنذَرْنَاهُمْ أَأَنذَرْتَهُمْ أَمْ لَمْ تُنذِرْهُمْ And it is the same whether you want them or you do not want them. لا يؤمنون. They will not believe. إِنَّمَا تُنْذِرُوا مَنِ اتَّبَعَ الذِّكْرَ وَخَشِرَ الرَّحْمَنِ بِالْغَيْبِ فَبَشِّرُهُ بِمَغْفِرَةٍ وَأَجْرٍ كَرِيمٍ But indeed you can only warn those who follow the dhikr, the revelation, the reminder and who fear Allah, that is Ar-Rahman, fear Allah in the unseen to give good news to him and the one who follows the reminder and fears Allah give good news to him, the good news of Maghfirah forgiveness and of a noble or honorable reward that is attended. Then the Shaykh closes after who Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam wa sallam wa sallam That praise belongs to Allah, the Lord of the world, and may the salat and salam be upon our master, our leader Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his family and companions until the day of judgment. Here, primarily, Shaykh Muhammad al-Khalil has given the discussion concerning the definitions of the ishtihad and taqlid and some of the principles or rules related to the two of them and the conditions of ishtihad and the types of taqlid and the questions 
uh, with this lecture was surrounding these men. The first of them discussed briefly Al-Aql al-Sadis, the six fundamentals mentioned by the Mu'allif, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, Rahimahullah. And that principle is the reputation of the Shubha, of the doubtful matter, which has been invented by Shaytan concerning abandoning the Qur'an and Sunnah for the following of the opinions, the various differing opinions of people. Exactly this doubtful matter, the Shubha, is that the Qur'an and the Sunnah cannot be known or it cannot be understood except by an absolute mujtahid scholar and who has the ability to make ijtihad in the matters of deen even outside of the rules or guidelines or principles or fundamentals of the madahid. And that mujtahid mutlaq, he is the one who is described with such characteristics which might not be found even in the likes of the companions of the Prophet so whoever is not described with such characteristics, he should avoid the Qur'an and Sunnah due to the difficulty of understanding them. Number two, what does the Mu'allif, the author, mean by Al-Ruriyat Al-Ama? He means that ilm, that knowledge which, is of, which of necessity must be known to the generality of the people. And it is obligatory that the common masses must know, must know this knowledge. It is not a knowledge that is particular or specific or limited to a certain class of people. Define an ijtihad linguistically, lugatan, and technically, istilahan. The linguistic meaning of ijtihad is bazlu al juhud bi idraq amrin shaq. Yani, exerting effort to achieve something that is difficult. Exerting one's effort, al juhud, to achieve that which is that a difficult matter. And istilahan, technically, it means bazlu al juhud bi idraq hukmin shar'i. Exerting one's effort to determine or to achieve or to reach a legal ruling and in the matters of Sharia and the Deen. List some of its shuroot and is a shuroot for the conditions which he had mentioned by the Sharih, that is Shaykh Muhammad ibn Qalbutameen, Allah. He said amongst the conditions for which he had is that a person should have or should be aware and should know of those legal evidences which he is in need of to make which he had. He must know the legal evidences, that is, the ayat from the Qur'an or the hadith that are related to ahkam, that are related to legal rulings. He must know those evidences, evidences that are necessary in order to make it to head. Number two, he must have knowledge of those matters which are related to the authenticity or the weakness of hadith in order to determine which hadith are acceptable and which are not, such as knowledge of asanid, the change of narratives and the biographies of the narratives. Number three, he must know about al-nasik al-mansuk, al-nasik al-mansuk, that which abrogates and that which is abrogated, of legal evidences, whether in the Qur'an or the Sunnah, that which has been abrogated, its ruling is, not, is no longer standing or executed. He must know that which abrogates what came before it and that which has been abrogated, uh, so that he will not make a ruling based on something that is no longer in effect. And likewise, he must know the places where there is ijtihad or ijtima' where there is ijma' and where there is consensus so that he will not make a ruling which is in contradiction to that about which the earlier scholars have agreed upon they have reached ijma' or consensus upon it number four he must know those evidences due to which a ruling might be changed and in those evidences in the Qur'an or Sunnah due to which an evidence uh, due to which a ruling a general ruling could be affected or changed, such as the evidences of taqsis and taqiyid, that is, those evidences which uh, specialize 
a ruling or limit a ruling to certain parties or certain individuals or, uh, or exclude certain people from a ruling, uh, a general ruling that is otherwise standing. Also, you must know that of the Arabic language and those matters of usul fiqh, the fundamental principles or basic rules and laws that are connected to the indication of Arabic expression. I mean, he must know enough of the Arabic language and enough of the rules of usul fiqh in order to be able to determine what an expression or a word in Arabic actually indicates. And this is related to the matters that are studied in usul fiqh, such as al-am and al-khaf, and that which is general and that which is specific, al-mutlaq and al-mukayyid, that which is absolute and that which is restricted, al-mujmal wal mubayyin that which is mentioned in general without its details being seen, and mubayyin that which is clear, and so on. So that he will make his ruling based on these considerations. And finally he said he must have the ability uh, that enables him to derive ruling from the evidences. And it's not enough just to know the evidences, but also one have, has to have an ability to know how to derive uh, how to derive the rulings from the evidences. Number five, define a taqlid, line following, and the two situations when it will occur. The Sheikh said that in another place, uh, not in this explanation, but he said in another place that linguistically taqlid means putting a rope or a string around the neck. Like they put a rope or a string around the neck of an animal in order to guide it and direct it. This is the linguistic meaning of Taklid, linguistically, wada al qalada fil Istilahan, or technically, the Shaykh has said here and in other places that the technical meaning of taklid is ittiba' qawli ghayri bila hujjah. It's following the opinion or the saying of another person without any proof, without any evidence. Just slightly following what they have said without requiring or requesting or specifying what is the evidence. Uh, the two situations where it will occur is when the muqallid, the person who is doing taklid, is a general person from the common masses who is not able to know the, the ruling on his own. Therefore, he takes another person's opinion. And the second situation where it will occur is when a mujtahid scholar is in a situation where he has to make an instant ruling and he doesn't have the time to examine the issue or to research it. In that case, it is permissible for him also to take the opinion of another person. Otherwise, the mujtahid is required to make ijtihad and is not allowed to take the opinion of another. I mentioned the two types, no'an of taqlid with explanation. The shaykh has said there are two types of taqlid. And he, what he mentioned previously are the two situations when it will occur. Here he has mentioned the types of tawheed, uh, taqlid, that is al-am and al-khaf. Al-am and al-khaf. Al-am, it is when a person sticks to one particular madhab, accepting all of his permissions or all of his requirements in all the affairs of his deen. And he's following all the rulings of a particular madhab, one single madhab not going out outside of it. This is al-am, this is general taqlid. And al-khaf, the specific taqlid, it is that a person takes a particular opinion in a specific issue. Yani, that somebody he doesn't follow all of the opinions of that madhab, but in a particular situation or circumstance, he takes that one opinion, and this is the khas in taqlid. The next question mentions the hukum shara'i, the legal ruling for each type of taqlid. The shaykh said that as for al-am, general taqlid, 
he said it is said that it is wajib, yani, that this type of taqlid is obligatory. While others said that it is muharram, that it is haram, it is forbidden to do this general type of taqlid following one single madhat in every rule, in every matter, in every situation. As for al-khas, it is said that the ruling concerning the taqlid khas, it is that it is ja'iz, it is permissible, it is allowed according to yani, the situation. The one who is unable to make a ruling or to yani, examine the evidences or even the mujtahid who is capable of doing so but is in a situation where he has to make an instant ruling. Discuss the basis of reasoning behind each of the above rulings. Yani, as far as the, the general taqlid, those who said that it is wajib, it was because they said that the later generations of the people are incapable or unable to make ijtihad. Therefore, it's obligatory on them to do taqlid. As for those who said the opposite ruling, that it is muharram, that it is haram to do general taqlid, the basis or the reasoning behind their ruling in that matter, it is due to that which it contains, an absolute following and obedience of other than the Prophet Yeah, any general taqlid requires that the person follows someone other than the Prophet and obeys them, someone other than the Prophet in every ruling, in every situation or circumstance, and they said this is haram. But no one can be followed in that way except the Messenger of Allah. As for the khas and the ruling concerning it that it's permissible, it is due to necessity. Due to necessity. Out of necessity, the one who is unable to examine the evidences or to reach a ruling or the mujtahid is in a situation where he requires to make an instant ruling and is incapable of doing so at that time. Uh, the last question, what is the jaza or the requital for the mujtahid scholar if he errs in judgment? The jaza or the requital of the mujtahid scholar who errs in his judgment is that his error is forgiven while his ijtihad is rewarded. Based on the hadith which was mentioned in the earlier principle, that when the judge makes a ruling and he makes ijtihad in it, if he reaches the correct opinion, then he gets two rewards. And if he makes a ruling and makes ijtihad in it and makes the, reaches the wrong opinion, then he will get one reward. And this hadith is the proof that he will not be punished. Even when he errs, he will in fact be rewarded. But his reward, of course, is for his ijtihad, for the effort that he has made, sincerely seeking the truth, and striving to reach the truth based on the evidences. Even if he errs, he is still rewarded for his effort, while his error is forgiven. This is the end of the questions and the last of the principles. If there are any comments or any questions or corrections on what has been said, then we can take a few moments. Uh, otherwise, if anybody has any questions who intends to take the exam or otherwise, can exit later at another time or during the week. Any comments? Sisters have any questions, you can call us. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdika. Ashadun la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayka. One of the sisters asked, what is the correct opinion concerning taqlid am? What is the correct opinion? Yani some of the scholars said that it is wajib, and some said it is muharram. 
two opposite opinions. The correct opinion, Allahu alam, is that taklid am, it is not obligatory. There is no doubt about it. It's not obligatory. However, the correct opinion is that it is permissible according to the circumstance of the person. That is the one who finds themselves in a situation where they can't, uh, they don't know legal evidences and they can't, they don't have access to the legal evidences. Perhaps they don't know Arabic and they don't understand Quran and they haven't studied the rules of fiqh and such matters. That person, if they follow any opinion of a particular madhab or every opinion of a particular madhab, it is permissible until they came to a situation where they came to know that any matter that they have followed in that madhab is wrong and that there are evidences, clear evidences showing the correct opinion in that situation then they have to abandon, abandon that matter or that opinion and follow the correct evidence from the Quran and Sunnah. Yani the person who is from the common masses who doesn't have the ability, they might follow a particular matter. In everything of that matter. However, if they came to the situation where they know that a particular opinion is wrong and it has been shown to them and proven to them by evidence from the Quran and authentic Sunnah that on this issue your madhab is wrong, in that case it is obligatory on them to abandon that issue of the madhab and follow the correct opinion. Otherwise, it is not obligatory to follow one madhab in every matter. In fact, what is obligatory is to follow the Quran and Sunnah. Whoever is unable to do so, due to their lack of knowledge or their circumstance, maybe they are a new Muslim or they are in a non-Muslim country where there are no scholars, then they can follow whatever has come to them. Uh, however, they are required to seek knowledge to the best of their ability and whenever they came to know that a particular opinion is wrong, then they have to abandon and follow that which is correct in Allah Muslim. Now. No. You should not? No. No. Is there any? Is there an obligation particular in the Quran? Abrogated. Ah, you are. No. No. What, uh, one of the conditions that the Shaykh has mentioned, and you will find it in all the books of Usul of Fiqh, and in these conditions that he has mentioned are basically agreed upon. One of them is that he should know the evidences of the Quran and Sunnah that are related to ruling, to general ruling, related to ahkam. Not all of the ayats of Quran, but the ayats that deal with ahkam, and the hadith that deal with ahkam. Not every hadith is dealing with legal rulings. Some hadith have nothing, and some ayahs in the Qur'an have nothing to do with the legal ruling. He should know those which are dealing with legal ruling. Some of them said that the ayahs in the Qur'an that deal with legal rulings are 500, or approximately 500. And some have said the hadith are similar, 1,000, and some have said 2,000. In any case, they are limited. Whoever knows them, then that is a requirement. As for abrogation, the point of abrogation, indeed, there are, both from the Qur'an and from the Sunnah, rulings that have been abrogated. There are ayats that came after that abrogate earlier ayats, and there are hadith that came after that abrogate earlier, earlier sayings of the Prophet and some of the scholars have discussed this in detail, and they have classified abrogation into different types. Some of them said that there is abrogation of Qur'an by Qur'an, and there is abrogation of Sunnah by the Sunnah, and there is abrogation of the Sunnah by Qur'an, and some said there is even abrogation of Qur'an by Sunnah. 
But some of them specify that the Sunnah is, has to be mutawatirah, and sometimes it doesn't have to be so. And Shaykh Muhammad has written a book concerning the Sunnah Fiqh, in which he has discussed these issues, and many of the earlier scholars have written such, and there's difference of opinion about some of the types of abrogation. However, there's no difference of opinion about the fact that there are verses that have been abrogated from the Qur'an, and hadith that have been abrogated. And from the Qur'an, there's two types of abrogation. There's abrogation, in which the text actually itself is no longer present. And there's abrogation, in which the ayah remains, but its ruling is no longer applicable. And the scholars have discussed this in detail. This is a discussion, a complete discussion concerning usul al However, the point is that if you read any of the books of usul al you will find that abrogation of the Qur'an as well as abrogation of the Sunnah is agreed upon. As for the abrogation of Qur'an, then the scholars said that there are two types. One type is that the ayah has been abrogated. The text is no longer there. It is removed. And the other type is that the ayah remains. But the ruling, its ruling, its applicability has been nullified. The example is the authentic hadith of the Prophet وسلم, which, or that hadith, that athar, which has been reported from Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, in which he said that we used to read the ayat in the Qur'an of the stoning. We used to read in the Qur'an, in the time of the Prophet وسلم, the ayat of stoning. An ayat that mentioned that the person who commits zina, that he would be stoned. And he said that we live to see the time in which that ayat was removed, and it is not there anymore. This is Sahih, and that hadith is reported in Al-Bukhari. Uh, as for the ruling that is abrogated while the ayat is remaining, then there is also the ruling in the Qur'an that uh, huh? the alcohol, the revel- I mean the ruling concerning uh, khamr na'am, is, an, is an example of abrogation in which uh, I mean, the absolute prohibition of alcohol didn't come at one time. Initially it was allowed, and then it was restricted, and restricted until it was absolutely prohibited. Abrogation means that a ruling is in effect, and a later ruling changes it. That is abrogation. And if it was allowed in the beginning, that is a ruling. Permissibility, it is abrogated now, it is no longer permissible, it is prohibited. That's not abrogation. In the beginning there was no prohibition of alcohol, it was allowed. And go to Salat. It doesn't mean it's prohibited. In fact, it is reported in the Sahih from Anas ibn Malik that the companions of the Prophet that when the absolute abrogation of alcohol came, that they began to break the bottles of alcohol and the alcohol flowed in the street. That means people were drinking alcohol up until that point. People were drinking alcohol. If it wasn't allowed, how were they drinking it? People were drinking it. In any case, the subject yani, requires yani, some uh, clarification in terms of the details of abrogation, but it is a big topic, and we are mentioning it's only abrogation as one of the conditions of the had. It is not the topic. 
But the topic itself, of course, requires a lengthy discussion and explanation. If you would like to see some of the details of the explanation, there are a number of good books dealing with uh, this topic. And from amongst them is the book that I mentioned, uh, Ilm al-Usul, or something like this. Uh, it is written by Sheikh Muhammad al Uthaymeen. It is a small book, and he has discussed this particular point in some detail, and he has given examples uh, for everyone except the abrogation of Quran by Sunnah, and he said, I didn't find an authentic hadith in which it has happened. There are some hadith that some of the earlier scholars have used, but, but it is not authentic. So he said, I didn't find a legitimate, acceptable hadith for this as an example. However, in principle, it is, uh, in principle, it is permissible. No, it's a small book. No, not available in English. But in any case, that particular chapter, if there is some interest in it, it's possible to read it. You can sit and go through that chapter. It goes with that. It's not a lengthy chapter. Any other questions? Inshallah, if there's anything that's left unclear, any, the important thing is that the questions for the examination are based upon the questions that we have discussed. The wording might be changed, or the form of the questions could be different. It might be true and false, which is easier than the original question. But if anyone can answer the original question, then those questions will be easy. Bi'idhani Allah Ta'ala.